Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone, Producer Zane here again. Just letting you know that this will be another patron-only episode week for you all. Uh, Jess and Ellen are still getting back on track and they are working on their next episodes. But while they take some deserved time off, please send them happy thoughts and positive vibe and happy messages on Instagram if you so wish. We will be filling this spot on the schedule with another patron-only episode. This one is about Fred and Rosemary West. So buckle in and we'll be back soon. content for murder in the land of oz oh new theme new theme song new patreon only theme song patreon only theme song the patreon um, pack you didn't know oh, about hello fifi she's joined us at the table ellen oh good girl um much because i brought her out from the bathroom yes um but i think she's like i best come downstairs because if she comes back up to the bathroom and grabs me again i'm going to end her um, Ellen, do you have the name of the person that suggested this crime? Yes. And, in fact, I messaged her yesterday to let her know that we were doing it. Stunning. Because I didn't actually get a name. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it. Don't you worry. I remember who it was. Great. Um, while Ellen is frantically looking for the person that suggested this crime, thank you so much to the person Oh, it was suggested- Lily. I think it was Lily. Hello, Lily. You stunner. Um, so Lily t- has suggested for, uh, suggested for us to look at... Uh, Two very, I'm going to say, cooked motherfuckers, uh, Fred and Rosemary West from the UK. Um, honestly, the most fucked up shit I have ever encountered. If you want a sort of ease into the whole look at the Fred and Rosemary West case, I would recommend there's a great uh, TV uh I don't know if you'd call it a telemovie. It's like a, I would say like a short series. Um, It's called uh, Appropriate Adults with uh, Dominic West, who plays Fred West actually, and um, Emily, oh, what's her name? Emily Watson. That's that's an actress. Uh, Let me check that that's who I'm talking about. Um, It's a series about, uh, yes, Emily Watson, that's who I was talking about. Um, so Appropriate Adult is set around the arrest of Fred West and because he was seen to have had some deficiencies, he was given an appropriate adult to be with him while he was getting interrogated. Okay. I just realised I didn't have my headphones on. I was like, something feels off. And that'll be why. Um, yeah, so it was a- Emily Watson plays the woman that was uh, made his appropriate adult and it's an interesting look into the things. The woman who plays Rosemary in this series is incredible like it's an a stunning performance it's so great um so lily thank you so much for suggesting us to look at this case i have been reading on and off um from i think uh all my love mum which um was written by um, which was written by rosemary um west's daughter uh who changed her name so i'm always a bit confused um on what her name is because i keep reading different names may west right which i think is yeah not the may west right not the may west right um all right so strap yourself in folks you're ready for a cooked ride okay i'm scared yeah i would be okay frederick walter stephen west was born on the 29th of september 1941 at bickerton cottage in hartford in hair herefordshire herefordshire i was about to say i'm sure that's not how you pronounce that 
I thought it was heart. I, I, you know, when you see like the end of a word and you just assume it's going to be Hertfordshire, but no, it's Herefordshire. H e r h e r e f o r d s h i r e. Knowing knowing English names is probably pronounced something completely different. Probably. Uh, He was the first surviving child to Walter Stephen West and Daisy Hannah Hill. Um, He came from quite a poor family that was quite close-knit and mutually protective. Um, His father was known as a disciplinarian and his mother was quite overprotective. Uh, in 1946, his family moved to Moorcourt Cottage at Moorcourt Farm where Fred's father worked as a milking herdsman and a harvest hand. Uh, the cottage had no electricity and was heated by a log fireplace. By 1951, Fred's mother had given birth to eight children, six of whom had survived, but Fred was always, by his, was, was always his mother's favourite. He was seen as a mama's boy and relied on um, mostly by his siblings for companionship. Uh, the West children were expected to perform chores. All, did, all six did seasonal work. Three girls picking hops and strawberries. The boys harvesting wheat and hunting rabbits. Um, the necessity of working to earn a living or even to just survive instilled a strong work ethic in Fred, who um, then also developed a lifelong habit of petty theft. Which, oh, yeah. you know, no worries. Uh, people that Hard work and petty theft. No worries. Uh, people who went to school with Fred described him as scruffy, dim, and regularly in trouble. Um, he remained scarcely literate, um, displayed an aptitude for woodwork and artwork. He left school in 1956 at 15 to work as a labourer at Moorcourt Farm. Uh, Fred claimed he was introduced to sex by his mother at age 12 to have engaged in acts of bestiality with animals in his early teens and that his belief in incest being normal stemmed from his father's incest in, with Fred's sisters. I beg your pardon. Fred's we ricocheted young- from petty theft yeah, quite rapidly. Fred's, Fred's youngest brother, Doug, dismissed these claims as fantasy on Fred's Oh, thank part. God. Uh, By 1957, Fred and his brother John frequently socialised at a youth club in Ledbury. Um, He had a distinct guttural Herefordshire accent, which marked him as a country bumpkin. He aggressively pestered women and girls whom he objectified as sources of pleasure. When a girl acquiesced to his advances, she would find his sexual performance unsatisfying as his primary objective was his own gratification. (laughs) Savage. (laughs) Not something only a problem with Fred West. Save that for Mitlu after dark. We'll walk through <laughs> oh, a couple of I'm Binmen in our, in our Binmen past. Um, after his 17th birthday, Fred had bought himself a, mo- a motorbike. Um, two months later, he suffered a fractured skull, a broken arm and a broken leg in the accident. He was unconscious for seven days and walked with braces for several months. Um, he developed an extreme fear of hospitals and became prone, prone to fits of rage, which is very common with people that have head injuries. Oh, interesting fact, delivered in a very interesting way. Uh, In June 1961, Fred's 13-year-old sister Kitty told her mother that Fred had been raping her since the previous December and had impregnated her. Arrested the same month, Fred freely admitted to police that he had been molesting young girls since his early teens and asked, doesn't everybody do it? No, no they don't. He was tried on the 9th of November. Though disgusted by his, uh, her son's actions, Daisy had been prepared to testify in his defence. Kitty refused to testify and the, cl- the case collapsed. Much of Fred's family effectively disowned him. His mother had banished him from the household and he'd moved into much Markle House um, of his aunt Violet. Uh, Violet, sorry, not Violet. <laughs> Violet. Uh Mid-1962, he'd reconciled with his parents, but um, the relationship with the rest of his family remained fraught. Oh, Fifi getting cuddles from Zane, but won't give them to me. Zane's her dad. (laughs) I thought you were awing about Fred West's family not speaking to him, and I was like, no, no sympathy. No, no sympathy for Fred West. 
Uh, Fred became reacquainted with Catherine Bernadette Costello in September 1962 when he was 21. He had met Bern- he had met Catherine, who came from Coatbridge, Lancashire, at uh, a much marked dance hall in 1960, and dated her for several months before she had returned to co- uh, to Scotland. Costello was pregnant um, by a bus driver at the time of her marriage to Fred, and may have relocated from Glasgow to Glasgow to England due to the stigma of or her baby's possible mixed ancestry. Oh no. Oof. That's right, I forgot that. Because uh, there's so many things that I <laughs> tried to like burn out of my head about this fucking case. Oh, good. Um, she married Fred in Ledbury on the 17th of November, the sole guest being Fred's younger brother, John. Uh, the couple initially lived in Fred's aunt's house, then moving to Coatbridge, where Fred worked as an ice cream van driver. No. No. <laughs> it could only be worse if you said he worked as a birthday party clown. Mm. Catherine's daughter, Charmaine, was born in March 1963. To explain the child's mixed ancestry, uh, Catherine and Fred claimed that she had suffered a miscarriage and that Charmaine was adopted. Shortly thereafter, the couple relocated to Savoy Street in the Brighton district of Glasgow. Oh, Fifi! It's not fair. Why doesn't she love me? Okay. All right. July 1964, Catherine, or Rena, as she was also referred to as, bore um, a daughter, father by Fred, called Anna Marie. The child was born at the couple's Savoy Street home. The family nanny, Isa McNeil, and neighbours of the West recall Rena as a considerate mother struggling to bring up true children. Fred treated the children harshly. He kept the girls in the bottom of a bunk bed with bars fitted to the space between the bunks, effectively caging them in. Uh, they were allowed out only when he was at work. That's... He, he's what vile. the fuck? Yeah. Uh, via McNeil, the Wests um, became acquainted... Oh, sorry. Via um, Isa McNeil, the West became uh, acquainted with 16-year-old Anna McFall, a friend of Isa's who was despondent over the death of her boyfriend in a workplace accident. Um, and Anne had spent a great deal of time at the West's flat. Uh, Fred later admitted to having engaged in numerous affairs in the early years of his marriage and fathered one illegitimate child with a woman from the Gorbals. When Catherine discovered her husband's infidelity, she began an affair with a man called John McLaughlin. On one occasion, Fred discovered the pair in an embrace. He punched Catherine, making her scream. In response, uh, John McLaughlin punched Fred, who drew a knife and grazed McLaughlin's stomach. When punched by McLaughlin a second time, Fred stopped defending himself. Years later, McLaughlin recollected this incident. He couldn't tackle a man, but he wasn't so slow in attacking a woman. What? (laughs) He and Catherine, uh, John McLaughlin and Catherine continued their affair and McLaughlin became increasingly aghast at Catherine's bruises and black eyes. On each occasion, it became apparent Fred had beaten his wife. John McLaughlin extensively beat Fred. Another time John McLaughlin witnessed Charmaine, uh, little older than a toddler, um, who asked Fred for an ice cream from his van. In response, Fred struck her across the head, triggering another small beating from John McLaughlin. John McLaughlin, call the police. I'm glad he's beating the shit out of him, but call the police. Uh, 4th of November 1965, Fred accidentally ran over and killed a small boy in Glasgow with his van. Uh... Fred was cleared by any wrongdoing by the police but feared a hostile reaction in potential reprisals from the, for the accident from the locals whom he relied on to make his living. Yeah, it doesn't look great for a guy driving the ice cream van to have to run over a child. a child. Not not a good vibe at all. Not great for the ice cream business, but also I don't care. In December, he returned to Gloucester with uh, Charmaine and Anne Anna Marie renting a caravan at the Timberland Caravan Park in Bishop's Cleeve. Catherine joined him in February 1966, accompanied by Isa McNeil and McFall, who also moved into Fred's caravan. McNeil and McFall also came from impoverished backgrounds, both hoping to find work in England. Shortly after the move south, Fred had found employment driving a lorry for a local abattoir. 
1966, Fred had begun to exhibit dominant and dominance and control over all three of the women. He was also prone to violent mood swings and Catherine and Isa typically bore the brunt of his fury. Fred also physically attacked his stepdaughter more than once. He also is reported to have begun sexually abusing Charmaine and to have had encouraged Catherine to turn to prostitution to supplement their meagre income. What the fuck? To escape Fred's domestic abuse and increasingly sadistic sexual demands, Catherine phoned John McLaughlin, begging him to rescue her, McNeil and her children. Together, John McLaughlin, Catherine, Isa and Isa devised a plan... Uh, John McLaughlin and Isa's boyfriend, John Trotter, would secretly drive to Bishop's Cleave in McLaughlin's Mini and discreetly take Catherine and her children and McNeil back to Scotland. By this time, Anna McCall had become increasingly infatuated with Fred, who had promised to marry her. Is she Uh, kidding? Pardon? (laughs) Is she kidding? Don't think so. Um, it's likely she informed Fred of the plan as he arrived at the meeting time and Anna McFall was oddly calm as she informed Isa that she intended to remain with Fred to work as the children's nanny. An altercation ensued between Fred and John McLaughlin, resulting in Fred being struck several times as he clutched onto Charmaine and Anna Marie. Police were called and John McLaughlin, Trotter, Isa McNeil and Catherine left with Fred threatening to kill Catherine should he ever see her again. Oh, fucking hell. To ensure to assure her daughter's well-being, Catherine frequently travelled to England to visit Charmaine and Anna Marie while they lived with Fred at Bishop's Cleeve. Despite initially maintaining her friendship with Anna McCall, Catherine soon began to resent her matriarchal presence in, around her daughters. Um, on October 11th, in an act of resentment, Catherine stole some belongings from Fred's caravan and returned to Glasgow. She was arrested the following month and returned to Gloucester to face trial. On the 29th of November, Catherine was sentenced to three years probation. Fred testified at the hearing, admitting that he and Anna McFall were living together, but falsely claiming McFall intended to return to Scotland imminently. After the trial, Anna McFall moved into a caravan at the Timberland Caravan Park. Catherine alternated between living with Fred and returning to Glasgow. Letters Anna McFall posted to her family and McNeil and, and Isa McNeil in Glasgow between 1966 and 1967 indicate she believed a relationship with Fred could offer her a better life that, than she had in Scotland, and she tried to persuade Fred to divorce his wife and so that he could marry her. How is, shit was her life in Scotland? Cooked. That is horrible. All right. Ooh, okay. Just, just send to yourself, girl. It's all right. In July 1967, Anna McCall, aged 18 and eight months months pregnant with Fred's child, vanished. She was never reported missing, but her dismembered remains were found buried at the edge of a cornfield between Muchmarkle and Kempley in June 1994. Oh, God. Her limbs had been carefully disarticulated and many phalange bones were missing from her body, likely to have been retained as keepsakes. Her unborn child may have also been cut from her womb. What? What? Fred Fred initially denied he killed McFall, but confided to one visitor following his arrest that he had stabbed her to death following an argument. This explanation is inconsistent with the fact that her wrists were found with sections of dressing gown cord wrapped around them, suggesting that she had been restrained prior to her murder. Oh, okay. This is taking a turn. (laughs) This is not like... The following month, uh, Catherine returned to live with Fred and the cu- this was back in 1967. 67, yeah. Uh, yeah, July 1967, so we're in August. Um, the following month, Catherine returned to live with Fred and the couple relocated to the Lake House Caravan Park. Their relationship initially improved, but Catherine left the following year again, with the ch- again leaving the children in his care. On these occasions, when Fred had no woman to supervise and care for the girls, he temporarily placed them in the care of Gloucester Social Services. Fred... Oh, here we go. All right. Woof. All right. 16 more pages to go. Oh, sweet shit. Fred first encountered Rosemary Letts in early 1969, shortly after her 15th birthday. Oh, no. Rosemary Letts was born in Northam, Devon, to William uh, Andrew Letts and Daisy Gwendolyn Fuller after a difficult pregnancy. She was the fifth of seven children born into a poor family. 
Her mother suffered from depression and was given ECT treatment while pregnant. Some have argued that this treatment may have caused prenatal injuries to her daughter. Rosemary grew up into a moody yet precocious teenager prone to daydreaming and performing poorly at school. Rose's parents were separated when she was a teenager. Rose lived with her mother and attended Cleve School for six months, later moving in with her father at the age of 16 in Bishop's Cleve near Cheltenham. Her father, who suffered with paranoid schizophrenia, was prone to extreme violence and repeatedly sexually abused her and her older sister, Patricia. Rose was raped by her father from the age of 10, At the onset of puberty, Rose reportedly became fascinated by her developing body and would deliberately parade naked or semi-naked around the house in the presence of her younger brother, Graham. On numerous occasions at the age of 13, she would also creep into nine-year-old Graham's bed at nightfall and molest him and her younger brother, Gordon. Oh, what? Rose also um, raped Graham when he was 12 years old. In 1969, 15-year-old Rose... Oh, God, come on, Word document, where'd you go? Uh, 15-year-old Rose met Fred, who was 27, while waiting at a Cheltenham bus stop. Initially, Rose wasn't interested in Fred, who was living at the caravan park at the time in Bishop's Cleave. Uh, Fred promised her a few nights out, and she agreed. When Rose began dating the now 28-year-old Fred, her father disapproved of the relationship and threatened to call social services on him. Rose then left her father's household and moved into Fred's caravan where she proceeded to care for Fred's daughter, Anna Marie, and his stepdaughter, Charmaine. Charmaine briefly attended Bishop's Cleave County Primary School. Um, However, by... Oh, no, sorry. I've done something wrong. Charmaine briefly attended Bishop's Cleave County Primary School. Uh, 1970, Rose became pregnant by Fred West and they moved to a flat in Midland Road, Gloucester. Their daughter, Heather, was born October 17th, 1970. During this time, Fred had been arrested and sent to jail for a short period of time. Some believe that caring for three young children while she, still, while she was still a child herself could have fueled her dark desires. It was during this time that criminologists believed that she murdered Fred's eldest daughter, Charmaine. When Fred was released from prison, they disposed of the body and when Charmaine's mother came looking for her, the couple murdered her as well. Rose is believed to have killed Charmaine shortly before uh, Fred's prison release date of 24th of June, 1971. She is known to have taken Charmaine, Anna Marie and Heather to visit Fred on the 15th of June. It is believed to be on, it was believed to be very shortly after this date that Charmaine was murdered. As well as forensic odontology confirmation that Charmaine had died while Fred was still incarcerated. Further testimony from Tracy's mother, Shirley, um, Uh, Charmaine had been murdered before Fred had been released on the 24th of June. In later testimony at Rose's trial, um, the two daughters... uh, Oh, so this is the next-door neighbour. The two daughters had been playmates um, of Charmaine and Anna Marie, um, and the neighbour had stated that her family... uh, that after her family had vacated the upper flat in Midland Road, um, she brought her daughter, Tracy, to visit... That's who Tracy is, that's right. Tracy to visit Charmaine, um, only for Charmaine, uh, only for Tracy to be told by Rose, she's gone to live with her mother and bloody good riddance before Tracy began to weep. I didn't know what I was, I didn't know when Lily requested this episode what it was about, and I wish I told her no. (laughs) I mean, we don't have to release this. No, it's okay, keep going. Oh God, Okay. Um, so Rose explaining Charmaine's disappearance to others who inquired about her whereabouts claimed that Catherine had called and taken her eldest daughter to live with her in Bristol. She informed staff at Charmaine's school that, um, they'd, she'd moved with her mother to London. When Fred was released from prison, um, on the 24th of June, he, um, you know, along with Anna Marie's concerns for her sister's whereabouts, uh, um, he claimed, uh, you know, Rose claimed that she'd been collected and returned to Scotland. Uh, Anna Marie has a biography called Out of the Shadows and uh, she recollected why her mother had... um, um, Anna Marie recollected that when she asked why her mother had collected Charmaine but not her, Fred answered, she wouldn't want you, love. You're the wrong colour. Oh, my God. Charmaine's body was initially stowed in the coal cellar of the Midland Road house until Fred was released from prison. 
He later buried her naked body in the yard close, close to the back door of the flat and remained adamant he had not dismembered his he had not dismembered this victim. A subsequent autopsy suggested that the body had been severed at the hip. This damage may have been caused by building work um, that Fred had conducted on the property in 1976. Several bones, including uh, so patellas, fingers, wrists, toes and ankle bones were missing from the skeleton, leading to speculation that the missing parts had been retained as keepsakes. Oh my God. You're right. Do you want me to stop? No, I'm fine. I'm just like disgusted. Um, so Catherine had maintained a sporadic contact with her children um, on, the, on the occasions that her and Fred were separated. Uh, she was known to have visited Moore Cottage, Moore Court Cottage to inquire of her children's whereabouts in the later half of August in 1971. Fred's sister-in-law, Christine, later recollected that Catherine was depressed and extremely anxious for her children's welfare. Being provided with Fred's Midland Road address, Catherine sought to confront him, likely to discuss or demand custody for her daughters. This was the final time that Catherine was seen alive. She is believed to have been murdered by strangulation, possibly the back seat of Fred's uh, car, likely while she was intoxicated. When her body was recovered, a short length of metal tubing was found in her with her remains, leaving an equally leaving an equal possibility that she had been restrained and subjected to sexual assault prior to her murder. Oh, good. Catherine's body was extensively dismembered, placed into large plastic bags and buried close to a cluster of trees known as the yew tree coppice in Letterbox Field. Oh. <laughs> I don't have any commentary to add to this other than, like, no. woe and despair. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. How many more pages? <laughs> Fifteen. Oh, that was only one page? 14 and a half. Beginning in early 1970s, Rose began regularly working as a prostitute, often while her husband watched. She also actively encouraged Fred to sexually abuse Anna Marie, beginning when the child was just eight years old. We cannot release this. Can we? Thank God this isn't a real episode. (laughs) Woof. Okay. Uh, Anna Marie was forced to prostitute herself within the, when, within the household, being told by Rose she was a lucky girl for doing so. One of Rose's most frequent visitors was her father, Bill, who had been having sex with her since she was 13. Bill died in 1979. Others uh, are reported to have been local authority figures. Rose was often pregnant and was the mother of eight children five of her children were fathered by fred while three were fathered by clients she met through her prostitution it is reported that even after rose had given birth to her fourth child bill would still visit rose for sex he was also reported to have raped anna marie his step granddaughter (sighs) 29th of january 1972 fred and rosemary married what an event that must have been. congratulations the ceremony took place at gloucester registry office with fred uh, incorrectly describing himself as a bachelor upon the marriage certificate. <laughs> what a fucking cooked cunt. <laughs> that's like that's like an understatement. This is the most cooked cunt that has ever been cooked. Oh, God. No family or friends were invited. No surprise. Nobody Whoa, would want what to a come. shock. Really? They didn't want to wish later the with- happy couple good luck? Ugh. Several months later, Rose, pregnant with her second child, the couple moved from the Midland Road to, uh, to an address near 25 Cromwell Street. Uh, no, they moved to 25 Cromwell Street, that's right. Initially, the three-storey home was rented from the council. Fred uh, purchased the property for the, from the council for £7,000. Uh, to, f- to facilitate the West's purchasing the property from the council, many of the upper-floor rooms were initially converted into bedsits to supplement the household income. To maintain a degree of privacy for his own family, Fred installed a cooker and a wash basin on the first floor landing in order that their lodges need not enter the ground floor where the West's, where the West family lived and only he and his family were permitted access to the garden of the property. On the 1st of June, Rose gave birth to a second daughter. Um, the date of her birth led uh, Fred and Rose to name the child May-June. That's, um, that's, um, that's not very creative. I can't talk about this. I can't talk about that. Um, I just, um, all right. Um, in October 1972, the Wests hired 17-year-old Caroline Owens as their children's nanny. 
They had picked her up one night on a secluded country road as she hitchhiked from Tewkesbury to her Cinderford home, having visited her boyfriend. Learning that uh, Caroline disliked her stepfather and was looking for a job, the Wests offered her part-time employment as a nanny to the three children of the household. Uh, Rose, who had begun to engage prostitution by this time, explained to Caroline that she worked as a masseuse when the younger woman inquired about the steady stream of men visiting her. According to Caroline, Fred also said that he was a skilled abortionist who was available should she ever need a service. Caroline also noted that Fred talked about sex almost incessantly. Her suspicions as to his sexual overtones were further heightened when Fred boasted that many of the women he claimed to have performed abortions upon were so overjoyed that they would offer him their sexual services as a reward. What the When Caroline herself became the recipient of the West's overt sexual advances, she announced intentions to leave Cromwell Street and return home. Knowing Caroline's habits of hitchhiking along the A40 between Cinderford and Tewkesbury, the West formulated a plan to abduct her for their shared gratification. Fred later admitted that the specific intent of this abduction was the rape and likely murder of Caroline, but that his initial incentive was to determine whether his wife would be willing to at least assist him in, in, in the abduction. On the 6th of December 1962, the couple lured Caroline into their vehicle with an apology for their conduct and, their, and to offer her a lift home. Initially, Caroline believed that the Wests had been sincere in their apologies to her and obliged, believing she had simply mistaken their earlier intentions. Rose, Rose joined her in the back seat with the explanation she wanted a girl's chat as Fred drove home. Shortly thereafter, Rose began to fondle her as Fred questioned whether she had had sex with her boyfriend that evening. When Caroline began to protest, Fred stopped the car, referred to Owen as, Owens as a bitch and punched her into unconsciousness before, she, before he and Rose bound and gagged her with a scarf and duct taped. In subsequent statement to the police, Caroline stated that at Cromwell Street, she was given a drugged cup of tea to drink, then again gagged and subjected to prolonged sexual assault from Fred and Rose. At one stage, Fred remarked that Owen... Oh, I can't say that. Um, When Owen screamed, Rose again smothered her with a pillow and restrained her about the neck and... Fuck! I feel disgusting. The following morning, having noted Caroline screaming one of his children one of his children knocked on the door of the room in which she was restrained Fred threatened that he and his wife would keep her locked up in the cellar and allow people to come and use and abuse her Fred claimed he had killed hundreds of girls adding that Caroline had primarily been brought to the house for Rose's pleasure he and Rose then calmly asked Caroline whether she would consider returning to work as their nanny seeing her sure Where do I sign? Seeing her escape avenue, Caroline agreed and vacuumed the house to indicate her belief in becoming an extended member of the family. Later that day, Caroline escaped from a laundrette she and Rose had entered and returned home, although initially too ashamed to divulge to her mother what had happened. When her mother noted the welts and bruises and exposed um, and like the cuts and everything on her body, um, she burst into tears and told her what had happened. Caroline's mother immediately reported her daughter's ordeal to the police and the Wests were arrested and charged with assault, indecent assault, actual body and bodily harm and rape. The case was tried at the Gloucester Magistrates Courts on the 12th of June 1973, but by this date, Caroline Owens had decided she could not face the ordeal of testifying in court. All the charges pertaining to her sexual abuse were dropped and the Wests agreed to plead guilty to the reduced charges of indecent assault and causing bodily and causing actual body harm each was fined 50 pounds and the couple were allowed to walk free from oh my court. god that's disgraceful from that's court. horrible when caroline owens heard this news she attempted suicide <sighs> three months after the west's assault trial the couple committed their first known murder the victim was a 19 year old named linda goff with whom fred and rose became acquainted through a male lodger in early 1973 Goff regularly visited Cromwell Street and engaged in affairs with two male lodgers. On 19th of April, she moved into their home on Cromwell Street. On, a, on or about 20th of April, other tenants were told that she had been told to leave the household after she had hit one of the children. 
This story was repeated to Goff's mother when she contacted the Wests to inquire about her whereabouts. When Goff's dismembered body was found, the jaw was completely wrapped in adhesive and surgical tape to silence her screams, and two small tubes had likely been inserted into her nasal cavities to allow breathing. Long sections of string and sections of knotted fabric were also discovered with her remains. She was likely to have been suspended from holes carved into the wooden beams supporting the, the ceiling of the cellar. Fred later admitted that he had devised uh, this for the purpose of suspending his victims. Are you all right? Do you want me to stop? No, I'm okay. I'm just going through a few emotions. Yep. From their later investigations, police and forensic experts concluded all the victims found in the cellar at 25 Cromwell, Cromwell Street had been murdered in this location and that, like Goff, had each been dismembered in this location. Five victims were murdered and buried in the cellar at Cromwell Street between November 1973 and April 1975. The first of these victims, Carol Ann Cop Cooper, was abducted on the 10th of November 1973. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, she had lived in the Pines Children's Home in Worcester and had been abducted after spending the evening at a cinema with her boyfriend. She was waiting for a bus when she vanished and was likely dragged into Fred's car. <sighs> um, at the West's address, Cooper was suspended from the wooden beams of the cellar ceiling before her abuse and murder. Over the following 17 months, four further victims between the ages of 15 and 21 suffered a similar fate to that endured by Guff, Goff and Cooper. Although the, dis the disarticulation conducted upon each success successive victim plus the paraphernalia discovered um, in each shallow grave suggests each victim was likely subjected to greater abuse and torture than those previously murdered. Following the murder of 18-year-old Juanita Mott in April 1975, Fred concreted over the floor of the entire cellar. He later converted this section of the household into a bedroom for his oldest children. He and his wife are not known to have committed any further murders until May 1978 when Fred, either with or without Rose's participa participation, but certainly with her knowledge, murdered an 18-year-old lodger named Shirley Robinson. Robinson had taken uh, lodgings with the Wests in April 1975. She was heavily pregnant at the time of her murder. Although Rose herself was pregnant at the time, she boasted to the neighbours that um, the child that Oh my god, I can't I can't even talk. That Shirley was carrying was her husband's. She soon developed a deep resentment of Shirley and the motive for her murder is likely to have been the removal of a threat to the stability of the West relationship. Her body was buried in the garden of twenty five Cromwell Street. It was extensively dismembered. Um as had been earlier with uh, as had earlier been the case with Charmaine and um with Charmaine, Fred and Rose ally um allayed that the suspicions of anyone who asked about Shirley's whereabouts by claiming she had relocated to live with her father in West Germany. The final murder that Fred and Rose are known to have committed with a de uh, definite sexual motive occurred in occurred on the 5th of August 1979. The victim was 16, a 16-year-old 16 named Alison Chambers who had run away from a local children's home. Alison is believed to have lived within their household for several weeks before her murder and Rose had promised Alison that she could live at a, um, a rural and peaceful farm that apparently Rose and Fred had owned, which they didn't. And uh, her body was buried at the garden in Cromwell Street. Heather and Mae West became the focus of Fred's incestuous sexual attentions after Anna Marie ran away from home in 1979. Fred was an overt and unapologetic in his conduct and would justify his actions with the simple, with the simple expl explanation, I made you, I can do what I like with you. As Heather and May and their younger brother Stephen were very close in age, the trio resolved that if their father asked either of the two girls to be alone in a room with them, they would only do so if at least one other member of the trio was present to avoid either girl being raped. Oh God. Both girls also developed a regime whereby they would only shower or undress when their father was either out of the house or if their sister stood by at the door. That's Stephen horrific. was also informed by his father that he would have to have sex with his mother by the age of 17. Although the girls were repulsed by their father's behaviour, May having once endured Fred's throwing a vacuum cleaner at her while she um, basically got upset because he started fondling her, 
um, they developed a mechanism where she would tolerate Fred's sexual, sexually fondling her, then jokingly brush aside any efforts he would make to take the mol- molestation further. Poor Zane. Oh, my God, <laughs> your poor face. Um, a strong suspicion remains that by 1985 or 1986, Heather had been forced to engage in intercourse with her father as by the mid-1980s she developed classic symptoms of the distress felt by victims of child abuse. These included habits of her biting her nails until they bled, drinking alcohol, warily, um, of warily watching her father through the corner of her eye wherever she was sitting or standing, expressing nervous, fr- nervous fragility whenever in the presence of males, her sleep being repeatedly, bro- repeatedly broken by nightmares and her repeatedly bouncing back and forth as she sat on her chair. Ugh. Heather also expressed to May and Stephen her desire to run away from home and live a nomad- nomadic lifestyle in the forest of Dean and never to be seen again by any human being. Mm, I support that. I support that ambition. You go for it, girl. You do what you want. Heather did complain to friends about the abuse she and her siblings endured and her external signs of psychological distress were noted by several of them. Staff at her secondary school um, are known to have expressed their concern as to why Heather, a studious, obedient pupil, refused to obey orders either to change her clothing or shower after sporting activities. On one occasion, she was forced to take a shower, resulting in her peers and staff noting her arms, legs and torso were covered in welts and bruises in various stages of healing. By the mid-1980s, rumours of Rose's sex life had reached several of their children's classmates, although the West children had been instructed never to divulge details of their home lives to their peers. After Heather left school in 1986, she applied for numerous jobs in an effort to leave Cromwell Street. By June the following year, she had pinned her hopes on escaping the household by via obtaining a job as a chalet cleaner at a holiday camp in the seaside town of Torquay. She received notification that this application had been unsuccessful on the 18th of June. In response, she crumpled into tears before her siblings. That same evening, her whole family heard Heather sobbing aloud as she attempted to sleep, and according to May, she cried all the way through the night. When... Uh, the following morning on the 19th of June, Heather was apparently back to her usual self, looking miserable, biting her nails and sitting on the couch, back, uh, bouncing backwards and forwards as her siblings left to go to school. When Heather's siblings returned home, they were informed Heather had left to accept the job she had previously been refused in Torquay, although Rose told an inquiring neighbour that, um, that she and Heather had had a hell of a row and that Heather had run away from home. Later, to answer the children's questions about why Heather failed to contact or visit her siblings, the parents claimed that Heather had eloped with her lesbian lover. Of course she did. On more than one occasion, Fred and Rose persuaded an unknown acquaintance to make a fake, to fake a phone call from Heather. In the, following years, in the years following Heather's disappearance, Fred occasionally jokingly threatened that, children, that the children would end up under the patio like Heather if they either misbehaved or divulged the mistreatment they endured to anyone, in, uh, to anyone outside the household. That is horrible. Heather's uh, disappearance, Fred and Rose's constantly changing stories about their daughter's whereabouts, plus their repeated mocking and references to their other children uh, being buried beneath the patio like their sister had misbehaved, ultimately led police inquiries as to Heather's whereabouts. These inquiries culminated in a search warrant being issued to excavate the West's Garden in February 19... I was about to say 1944. No, 1994. Oh, thank Jesus. Okay. I'm so sorry, Lily. In May 1992, Fred had asked his 13-year-old daughter, Louise, to bring some bottles to a room on the first floor of the home. Rose wasn't present at at the time. Shortly thereafter, the girls' uh, siblings heard her scream, no, don't. Later, Fred returned downstairs. The girl was found by her siblings writhing in pain, in pain sobbing that her father had um, raped her and at one stage partially strangling her. When Rose returned home, the girl confided in her mother and Rose replied, oh, well, you were asking for it. Oh, my God. 
On the 6th of August 1992, the police searched the West household on the pretext of searching for stolen property. Although numerous objects of sexual paraphernalia, including 99 pornographic videos of both homemade and commercial uh, uh, pornographic videos of both homemade and commercial nature, were discovered, police did not find video depicting the rape of uh, Fred's daughter. Um, because, oh yes, um, so a friend. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'm getting really fucked up by this. Um, Louise had actually gone to the police and they'd come to their house. That's why they were there. Yeah. Um, the 13-year-old had made a full statement through a spe- uh, specially trained solicitor describing her father's actions, the fact that the sexual abuse had begun when she was 11 and that her mother had been casually indifferent to her plight. A medical examinations revealed evidence of physical and sexual abuse. The West children also divulged that their mother had inflicted most of the physical abuse and that their father frequently said that if they told anyone about the goings-on in the household, they would be buried under the patio. Police began a uh, full-scale investigation, eventually leading to Fred being charged with three counts of rape and um, and one of buggery with Rose as an accomplice. She was also charged with child cruelty, inciting her husbands to engage in sex with their daughter and obstructing the police. Fred and Rose were questioned as to the whereabouts of their eldest daughter and although Fred claimed Heather was alive and well and supporting herself via prostitution, Rose initially claimed to have no, no knowledge of Heather's whereabouts or why she had left. As Fred awaited trial, he was held on remand in Birmingham. Learning that her father was denied of any wrongdoing, Anna Marie also contacted police to offer a full statement de- detailing her experiences as a child. In a statement given to Detective Constable Hazel Savage, Anna Marie recounted the extensive physical, mental and sexual abuse she had, she had endured as a child at the hands of her father and stepmother. In the efforts to gather further evidence, police and social services also spoke to May, who having spoken with her 13-year-old sister learned the girl did not wish to see her father, charged initially denied, charged, initially denied and had endured any molestation as an adolescent. Police then focused their attentions on tracing Heather in efforts to corroborate Anna Marie's claims of sexual abuse, but inquiries to the Inland Reven- uh, Revenue and the Social Security Department held no records attesting to her being alive. Two months later, Gloucester Social Services also contacted police to stress their concern over the whereabouts of Heather. This case against the West collapsed when Anna Marie and her 13-year-old half-sister Louise declined to testify at the court case of the oh 7th, my God, the are you kidding me? 1993 with the child rape victim expressing her desire to return to her family and Anna Marie choosing to withdraw her statement because of her noting the misery of her younger siblings and her fear of Rose's vindictiveness. Shortly thereafter, Anna Marie spoke further to DC Savage, further further emphasising that her mother, Catherine, and half-sister Charmaine were also missing. Although the Wests were acquitted of all charges and all their children remained in foster... Um, all their children remained in foster care... Um, permitted but were permitted supervised visitations to Cromwell Street. Despite Fred and Rose claiming to the few relatives from whom they were not already estranged, by 1993 the charges had been fabricated by police. Almost all of their remaining family members severed contact with them. Meanwhile, police continued investigating the disappearance of Heather, noting no records existed indicating that she was still alive. When Anna Marie was questioned as to the colloquial family joke regarding Heather being buried beneath the patio, she confirmed that the sole time she had heard her father recite this claim, he had immediately burst into laughter, leading her to refusing to take this claim seriously. Oh my God. In retracing Fred's history, police also discovered that Although Catherine and Charmaine had disappeared in 1971, no missing person report had ever been filled on either of them. DC Savage and her colleagues were convinced Heather was dead and that Fred's repeated statement to his children that her body lay beneath the family patio might be true. On the 23rd of February 1994, Gloucester Police successfully applied for a search warrant authorising the search of 25 Cromwell Street to locate Heather's remains. When police displayed this warrant to Rose on the 24th of February, she turned pale before becoming hysterical and shouting over her shoulder to her eldest son, Stephen, get Fred. Rose became contradictory in her informal questioning as to the circumstances surrounding Heather's disappearance. When reminded of these contradictions, she became distraught and abusive, shouting at officers, I can't fucking remember, it's a bloody long time ago, Who do you, what do you think I am, a bloody computer? Fred had been working in Stroud at the time. Upon hearing of police's intentions, he assured Stephen he would be home immediately. 
When Fred arrived three hours later, he informed his family of his intentions to voluntarily offer a witness statement to police regarding his daughter's whereabouts. Despite Fred's insistence in in this statement that Heather had been alive and well, um, she'd been involved in a drugs cartel that the claims that he and his wife had made as to Heather being buried underneath the family patio was simply rubbish. Police were unassuaged. In response, Fred abruptly changed tactics, claiming that they... Um, that they simply held a grudge against him due to his 1993 acquittal of the rape of his daughter. Yeah, sure. That evening, with the search team having left their premises and, and, and a uniformed officer remaining at Cromwell Street to guard the excavation site, May and Stephen observed their parents talking in hushed tones as they repeatedly get, glanced towards the garden from their kitchen window. In the early hours of the following morning... As his son Stephen was about to leave for work, Fred informed him, look son, look after mum and sell the house. I've done something really bad. I want you to go to the papers and make as much money as you can. Shortly thereafter, police returned to Cromwell Street to continue their search for Heather's body. Upon their arrival, Fred indicated his wish to be arrested for, the, for Heather's murder and to be taken to Bearland, 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 Bearland Police Station to provide a full confession. He was then arrested and formally cautioned. At 11.15 that morning, Fred formally admitted to police that he indeed killed his daughter in an act of manslaughter. He confessed to strangling Heather in a fit of rage, then dismembering her body in the ground floor bathroom with a heavy serrated knife he normally used for cutting slabs of frozen meat. Her remains had been stored in a dustbin as he waited for an opportunity to dig her grave. Fred was insistent that his wife had no knowledge of of her daughter's murder, claiming he had committed this murder as Rose was preoccupied with one of her clients. Is he fucking kidding? Um, He then volunteered to accompany police to the house to pinpoint the precise location of Heather's body. Upon receipt of this confession, Fred's solicitor, Howard Ogden, had his appointed appropriate adult, Janet Leach, informed um, May and Stephen their father had confessed to their sister's murder. In response, Stephen slumped against a wall and began sobbing. May entered a state of shock before stammering that her father had not killed her sister. I mean, it's not too much of a leap. Like, I feel like I would not be that shocked if my incredibly evil father was also a murderer. Jess is having a restorative sour worm. Sour patch kids. Okay. The following day, 26th of February, police began excavating the section of the garden um, at Cromwell Street where Fred indicated he had buried his daughter. Shortly after 4pm, police found a thigh bone protruding from a section of the garden. Fred had insisted police need not look in. Excavating the section of the garden where Fred had indicated he had buried his daughter, investigators discovered a mass of jumbled human remains encased encased in the remnants of a bin bag intertwined with two lengths of rope. Oh, God. These dismembered remains were taken to the police headquarters for further examination where they were determined to be those of a young woman with one kneecap and several phalange bones missing the descendants the the deceased fingernails were also discovered in a pile suggesting that they may have been torn from her fingers i'm gonna pass out oh my god i'm gonna pass out several hours later the body was identified via dental records as that as being that of heather west that is just so horrible that evening having been formally charged with his daughter's murder and questioned as to why police had discovered uh, why police had also discovered a third thigh bone, Fred confessed that there were two further sets of human remains in the garden and agreed to return to Cromwell Street to reveal the locations of both graves, one of whom he named as Shirley Robinson, whom he described as being a former tenant, um, and the other victim he described as Sh- as being Shirley's mate but either could or would not elaborate as to her identity. Both sets of remains were discovered on the 28th of February and Fred was charged with both murders two days later. Right. Fred authorised his solicitor to pass a note he had written to the leader of the murder investigation, Superintendent John Bennett of the Gloucestershire Police. This note read, I, Frederick West, authorised my solicitor Howard Ogden to advise Superintendent Bennett that I wish to admit a further approximate Nine killings expressly Charmaine, Catherine, Linda Goff and others to be identified, Fred West. Question further as to, his cl- as to his claims, Fred calmly explained that there were a further five bodies buried in his cellar and a sixth body beneath the ground floor bathroom. Most of these victims, Fred claimed, had been hitchhikers or girls he had murdered in the 1970s after picking them up at bus stops. 
Initially, Fred claimed these six victims had been killed when they had threatened to inform Rose of his infidelity with women and that he had transported their bodies to Cromwell Street to abuse, dismember and bury them in shallow graves. I can't imagine being the police officers. And being like, be like, more? Are you when kidding? When is this going to end? Yeah. Where, where else have you put them? Between the 5th and 8th of March, police found six further bodies of young females at 25 Cromwell Street. Each victim had been extensively mutilated and each body bore evidence of having been subjected to extreme sexual abuse prior to the act of murder. Mm-hmm. Despite Fred's insistence that his wife held no knowledge of any of the murders, investigators suspected otherwise. Yeah, no Rose shit. was arrested of the, on the 20th of April 1994, initially on offences relating to the rape of an 11-year-old girl and the physical assault of an 8-year-old boy, both charges dating back from the 1970s. The following day, she was refused bail and transferred to Puckle Church Prison to be held in maximum security ring, wing. Here she was questioned more closely about the murders, in particularly those of her daughter Heather and Linda Goff, and on 25th of April she was formally charged with Goff's murder. By the 6th of May, Fred and Rose were jointly charged with five counts of murder, with Rose simply replying, I'm innocent, upon hearing each formal charge. This proved to be a continuous trait throughout each of the 46 interviews investigators had with Rosemary West. As well as the murders of victims exhumed from Cromwell Street, Fred had confessed to the murders of his first wife and stepdaughter and to knowing the location of Anne McFall's remains, although he always denied killing her. Fred agreed to identify each burial location and the remains were unearthed between the 10th of April and 7th of June. He was then transferred to Birmingham Winson Green, Birmingham's Winson Green Prison where a strict suicide watch called for his cell to be checked every five minutes. Every 15 minutes, I should say. Fred and Rose West were brought before the magistrate's court in Gloucester on the 30th of June, 1994. He was charged with 11 murders and she with nine. <sighs> Could you imagine, like, 94, what we would have been? One. One. Could you imagine reading the newspapers about this sort of shit? No. No, I can't. Like, I... Just the... Just the... the I can't think. The long-term... And the horrific scale, like, your brain can't really comprehend it. It sounds like something from, like, a really, 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 like, exploitive, trashy horror film. Like, it just gets worse and worse and worse. It doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem real. It's so over-the-top fucked up that you're just like, no, human beings don't do that to each other. Families don't do that to each other. But unfortunately, it is real. As he was held on remand in Winston Green Prison in the months following his arrest, Fred became increasingly depressed. I don't fucking give a shit. Oh, are you depressed? Are you depressed? You fucking depraved, incestuous, pedophile murderer. No offence, not that sad. This became worse after Rose's public rejection of him at Gloucester Magistrates Court on the 30th of June. Her refusal to reply to the letters he sent her and reports leaked to the press in which she, Rose, had assumed the role of the grieving mother who had lost a daughter and stepdaughter to her husband. Oh, boo And in which she declared both her innocence of murder and her hatred of him. Yeah, get wrecked, Whatever, Rose. bitch. Come on. Fred uh, pleaded with Stephen and Anna Marie, the only children, to visit their father while on remand to convey to Rose that he loved her. But Rose never acknowledged these overtures. In response, Fred withdrew his earlier confessions to have acted alone in the murders and instead accused his wife of almost total culpability in all of the murders to which he had been charged, excluding that of Anne McFall, which he claimed to have been committed by his first wife. Okay. Alrighty. Mm Mm-hmm. To Rose West, Steve and May. Well, Rose, it's your birthday on 29th of November 1994 and you will be 41 and still beautiful and still lovely and I love you. We will always be in love. The most wonderful thing in my life was when I met you. Our love is special to us. So, love, keep your promises to me. You know what they are. Where we put together forever and ever is up to you. We loved Heather, both of us. I would love Charmaine to be with Heather and Catherine. You will always be Mrs. West all over the world. This is important to me and to you. I haven't got you a present, but all I have is my life. I will give it to you, my darling. When you are ready, come to me. I will be waiting for you. The initially strict suicide watch having been relaxed on the 1st of January 1995, Fred West asphyxiated himself in his cell by wrapping an improvised rope he had constructed from a blanket and tags he had stolen from prison laundry bags around his neck, then binding this device to a door handle catchment and sinking to his knees. No, he was supposed to 
right in prison. At the bottom of the suicide note found in his cell was a drawing of a gravestone within which was written, in loving memory, Fred West, Rose West, rest in peace where no shadow falls, in perfect peace he waits for you, Rose, his wife. That is fucking Fuck you. disgusting. Fuck you. Fuck you. You, I cannot. I cannot. Uh, rage is just everywhere in my body right now. Is he kidding at pre-trial proceedings in February, Rose pleaded not guilty to 10 charges of murder, the murder of Charmaine West having been added to the original nine after Fred's suicide, and two counts of rape and indecent assault of young girls having been dropped with a view of later resubmission. Though her counsel conceded that circumstantial evidence indicated Rose's willingness to subject young girls to sadistic and physical sexual abuse, her trial at Winchester Crown Court began at the 3rd of October. In his opening statement, prosecutor Brian Levison portrayed Fred and Rose as sex-obsessed, sadistic murderers, terming the bodies discovered at Cromwell Street and Midland Road secrets more terrible than words can express. The victims' last moments on earth were as objects of depravity of this woman and her husband. He pointed out that Fred was incarcerated when Charmaine was killed, claimed that Fred and Rose had learned from their mistake in allowing Caroline Owens to live that they would never be so trusting again and said that the gag on the victim, Therese Sengel, uh, said that the the gag on victim Therese Sigenthaler evinced a feminine touch, a scarf tied in a bow. He promised to demonstrate Rose's controlling and sexually sadistic character and her efforts to deflect suspicion about the disappearance of their victims. Prosecution witnesses included Cromwell Street Lodgers, victims' relatives, Rose's mother, Daisy, and her sister, Glennis, and surviving victims, including Anna Marie West, Catherine Halliday, a former lover of Fred and Rose, Caroline Owens, and Miss A, who had been sexually assaulted at 14 by Fred and Rose in 1977, and who described Rose as the most aggressive perpetrator of the two. Rosemary's counsel... Richard Ferguson tried to discredit prosecution witnesses as either having financially exploited their connection to the case or motivated by grudges. Owens, though admitting to receiving $20,000 for her story, described her extreme survivor's guilt. I only want to get justice for the girls who didn't make it. I feel like it was my fault. Oh, my fucking God. I'm not going to read about her defence because fuck it. Yeah, I don't really... I don't really give a shit. I'm sure it's bullshit. Um, after seven weeks of evidence, the judge uh, instructed the jury, emphasising that circumstantial evidence can be sufficient for finding of guilt and that if two people take part in a murder, the law considers them equally guilty mm-hmm. regardless of which of them did the deed. Yes. Yes, thank you. Yes, bitch. Thank you. Once again for the people in the back. <laughs> On the 21st and 22nd of November, the jury returned unanimous in guilty verdicts oh, for all ten murders. Praise Jesus. Terming her crimes as appalling and depraved. The judge sentenced Rosemary to life in prison, emphasising that she should never be paroled. Initially, Rose was incarcerated at HMP Bronzefield as a Category A prisoner. She was later transferred to HM Prison Low New- uh, Newton, where she continues to protest her innocence. Oh, well. Fuck you, and I'm done. Oh. I've skipped a lot, but I just couldn't. No, that's fine. I don't think my brain could handle any more. That's the most I'm, fucked up thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. I want to die right now. That is the most fucked up case that has ever existed. I don't want to be yeah. proven wrong by that statement. Nobody inform me yeah. of anything more fucked up than that. No. Because that's... I'm never thinking about that ever again. No, I'm going to immediately bleach my brain. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much. Um, well, you did a good job, Jess. Good, good job covering that. I Thank don't you, think Wikipedia. I could have done it. Um, I'm not. I'm not happy about the information I've learned. I'm very sad for the victims. Yeah. I'm sad for everybody who has to listen to this and be informed of it. I'm going to keep reading the daughter's book, May mm. <clears throat> May West's book. Um, the children just, to like survive through that is like they must be the strongest people that have ever lived on planet Earth. Because I would kill myself straight up. There is no way that I could survive on the Earth having had such terrible things happen to me oh i want to die me too okay um thanks patreon thanks patrons uh your support honestly means the world to us and the fact that you are supporting this podcast is so bloody rad Mm -hmm. um 
We really, really, really appreciate it. Um, keep sending in suggestions of cases. If you send me another fucked up one like this, I will do something drastic. Thank, thank um, you to Lily you, for recommending it, though. Thank you, Lily. You angel face lady. Love you. Um, you're twisted, also but we gonna, love you. You're twisted, but we love you, Presh, and that's what we love you for. Um, if you have any suggestions of other things that you want, Ellen and I to do if you want like some get to know you stuff or if you want us to talk about anything in particular please let us know if it's murder related if not I mean you guys are running this show because you know you're the one that's helping us do it so we love ya um anything you want to say Ellen um I'm miserable yeah great um well thank you so much guys for your support it we can't reiterate that enough it's really cool um tell your friends if you want, uh, make sure you keep listening normally on the channel. And if you haven't rated and reviewed, you probably have because you're all stunners. So, you know. Keep doing you. Keep doing you, Presh. All right. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. Stalking is prevalent in Australia. There are hundreds of cases reported every year. These people's existence have been besieged by a stalker. Survivors often are voiceless and have no place to tell their stories. This podcast has given a voice to those victims, a place to tell their stories. Hopefully we can help others who are in this terrible situation to fight back. I'm Mom McMahon, and this is Stalking Australia. A That's Not Gunner Productions podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.